everybody, and welcome to another episode of React Native Radio. This week, I'm talking to Caddy Kramen. Uh, Caddy, do you want to introduce yourself and uh, let people know who you are and why you're famous and all that stuff? <laughs> well, I'm famous, I wish. Um, hi, like you said, I'm Caddy. I'm a senior software engineer and I work at Formidable, which is a JavaScript consultancy. So mm-hmm. we kind of build things in JavaScript, so front end, back end. And native, which is what I've been doing for the past couple of years. And I guess the reason I'm on the show is I've been doing some uh, React Native training recently. And specifically, I did a, a workshop for front end masters, which is basically an intro to React Native for beginners. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash jobbook. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Yeah, and uh, React Native seems to get, it gains in popularity a little bit and then people kind of ignore it for a while and then it gains a little more popularity, at least the way that I've been seeing it. So um, yeah, lately it's it's been growing. People are paying attention to it and doing a lot with it. So yeah, so I'm excited to talk through the course with you and just you know, see what's there, what it's all about, and, you know, let people know where they can go get it if they want to get into React Native. The other thing is, is we haven't done an intro episode for a while. So yeah, it's probably a long time coming. Um, Do you want to talk briefly about how you came to wind up doing the course at Frontend Masters? Well, basically, I've been doing, building things in React Native for the past, like, two and a half years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't start off a mobile engineer or a JavaScript engineer, actually. I um, I went to university to study mathematics. Um, and then <laughs> actually I um, I wound up, wound up with a job after graduation where I thought I was going to be building like algorithms and mm-hmm. data visualization and all that cool stuff. And then I ended up doing websites in .NET, um, which was kind of adjacent to what I was intending to do. But that kind of got me into web development, which in turn got me into JavaScript, which in turn got me into React. And then after maybe two plus years of doing React, I kind of pivoted to React Native. And that was about two and a half years ago. So the first time I did React Native was at a startup where (laughs) we had like two and a half weeks to build a mobile app. Um, and no skills in native development. So where do you go with? React Native. Right. Um, yeah, so, and for the course, I actually, they were looking for someone to do a refresher course. It is a React Native V1 that's going to be mm-hmm. deprecated once mine comes live. Okay. And um, this was done quite a few years ago, so it's quite dated. And they were looking for someone to do a refresher course for a while. And the reason it took so long is because they actually, they wanted someone to do the course who has experience actually shipping applications to production. That makes sense. And so they had loads and loads of offers of people who do React Native training for a living, 
They do mm-hmm. workshops and courses. They have loads of experience doing that. But they um, didn't have that many people who can do training and also, like, in their day-to-day work, actually ship things in React Native. Right. And I was the uh, I was in the middle of that Venn diagram. I gotcha. So did you meet a? Did you apply then, or did you meet Mark somewhere, or how, how did that all work out? Um, yeah. So actually, it was through um, Rachel Neighbors, who is uh-huh. a documentation engineer at Facebook, and I knew her from uh, React Native EU where I did a talk about uh, security. And I also helped write some security documentation for uh, the React Native documentation for, um, for Facebook. Um, so like, like from there, I knew Rachel and uh, Mark basically reached out to Rachel to ask if she knew anyone who basically could do the React Native course. And so she recommended me. And I had like a video interview with Mark and she, uh, he, sorry, uh, had an early interview with Mark and he decided that I knew what I was talking about and that was it. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, so you get this invite and you start putting together, did you work off of the React Native V1 um, outline no, or did I didn't. you put your own together? No, I didn't. So I watched some parts of it just to get an idea of mm-hmm. um, like a good format for these videos. Um, because I don't know if you've done any of the front-end master's videos. It's actually a really, uh, it's a really involved process. I was, uh, I was pretty blown away by how much work goes into it. Um, but there are like different instructors have kind of different ways of teaching. So you either, you know, you either want to like whiteboard everything and talk people through it or you just want to introduce a concept and let them figure it out and like do exercise based uh, things, or you just want to take the uh, students to a journey. So I, I watched uh, like a few different clips from different workshops uh, to figure out what style kind of works there. And then what I ended up going with was basically um, kind of introduce a concept and then give a time for people to apply that concept mm-hmm. and then live code the result. So that was my, my go-to. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting too, because um, I have friends that either do like Pluralsight videos or um, Joe Eames who owns thinkster.io is a friend of mine. Uh, and yeah, they all kind of take a similar approach to that, right? Where it's okay. Now pause the video and you do it or, in in the case of Thingster, right, they actually have um, stack blitz on the web page, right, loaded in with all the stuff that you need to just write the code right there. And so, again, it, it's that same idea, right, where it's, here's the concept, here's how you do it, now you go do it. And that that's really, really effective. And the, um, so one of the handy things that I actually got from Brian Holt's React courses, which are mm-hmm. really, really popular. Um, yeah, those are terrific. <laughs> yeah, he's actually, you might not know this, but he's actually worked on this Gatsby template that they are looking to have all the workshops follow. So I think uh-huh. I was the first one to actually trial this out. So if you go if you go on my GitHub, and then I think it's the fourth pinned item, it's uh, mm-hmm. called React Native V2. Yep. And then click the link on that. 
um, you get this like course page. Mm -hmm. And this is basically uh, from Brian Holt's uh, kind of Gatsby template that they're developing. And then the idea is that I follow, uh, so these are all the topics I follow through during the workshop. And then um, you can go in and basically read them later. And there's, um, if you go to any of the ones, any of the titles that have little eyes on them, um, mm -hmm. you can actually see that at the top, there are links um, to the solutions to the exercises. So there's like a repository that you, um, that implements all the little bits of the exercise that we do. So if you get stuck or like uh, you lose your way or you didn't quite follow what I was, what I was writing really quickly, uh, you can just go and look at the diff, which is, which I thought was really neat. Um, yeah. 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 I'm looking at this and it looks really, really good. And I like even just, you know, at a glance, looking at the table of contents, I mean, it kind of gives me an idea. Oh, this is how this is going to all flow and, and get us into, yeah, how to build React Native and things like that. So how did you decide what to put into the course and what not to put in the course? Because, I mean, there's a wide breadth of things you can do with React Native that don't necessarily fit well into an introduction. But at the same time, you know, you get too far into React Native and all of a sudden you've got to pull in um, native extensions and stuff like that, that just kind of can get overwhelming really quick. So how, how did you decide what to put in and what not to put in? Yeah, with great difficulty. I basically, I started off, um, I've got this giant whiteboard at home where I started off, I wrote all the things that um, basically make a React Native out. So everything that I've done with React Native. Mm -hmm. And starting like from smaller things um, to like moving bigger. And then I basically had like a prioritized list of things. So my my um, my goal was to give people kind of like the most condensed toolbox of tools that they would need to actually get started in building their own app. So, you know, if you if you're like an artist and you have this like 120 pencil set. Um, like, you know, that's for the pro artist, whereas mm -hmm. I'm, I want like the eight pencil equivalent. So these are like the main eight colors and you can do most things with it. And then like, as you get more experience, you can add more colors to it. So that was my right. uh, kind of idea. So like the main thing was um, um, basically the components. So a lot of people are familiar with web development. So that's like the most, uh, like the typical. Right person who will be doing the workshop is done some web development and knows JavaScript. And actually half the people also know React. So mm -hmm. I was focusing quite strongly on how React Native different differs from React on the web and how mobile development differs from web development. So a, a couple of like distinct things. So for example, on the web you have um, you have divs and mm -hmm. on uh, native you have views. So you kind of use them interchangeably. So kind of right. giving these parallels to web versus native. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, if you've done much in the way of, uh, of web development, then yeah, you'll, you'll be familiar with those uh, concepts. So yeah, uh, one thing that I did notice on your outline is that you show people how to do it with Expo and without Expo. Um, Expo makes a lot of things easier and a lot of times giving people the training wheels is kind of the best approach. So why even show people how to do it without Expo? 
Yeah, so it was a very sensitive topic. Um, that was like the main difficulty for me uh, that I have to decide when putting together this course because basically, originally I was like, well, I, I personally don't use Expo day to day. So I, I write React Native apps for a living, but mm-hmm. I have, um, apart from the very first one, I've never actually used Expo on a client project. So then oh, it seemed, yeah, so it seemed like it seemed wrong for me to like build an app like and promote Expo when I don't actually use it myself. So originally I was 100% set on just not using Expo at all. Mm-hmm. And then like a couple of months before, actually it was end of last year, I gave a React Native workshop in Bulgaria and I did use Expo for that because it was just like a three hour workshop. So there was nowhere we could actually set up a native app. And what ended up happening is I had like, um, I think there were about 20 people and less than half of them had a Mac and an iPhone. So there were people on Windows machines, there were people on Android phones, and there was even someone on Linux. So if I'd actually used plain vanilla React Native for that workshop, there's no way we could have gotten anything done. Everyone would have been just spending the whole three hours doing setup. And that kind of got me thinking that I should probably use Expo for this workshop just to give people like an easy ride into React Native. Um, But I was still quite undecided. So I decided to like post on Twitter. Um, (laughs) And I posted a Twitter poll for people saying, should I use Expo or not? And Uh that poll was still quite Um, 50-50. And I had quite a few people message me on Twitter saying that they were really interested in doing my course. But if I'm going to be using Expo, they don't want to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got a few messages saying that. So I was like, wow, okay. So that's like that's actually physically cutting some people out. But right. one of the problems is that unless you know what the difference is, like it actually in your development, it makes very, very little difference for this introductory course. And finally, what I ended up doing is I created like two repositories. And if you actually look at the little uh, list of topics, there's only one, two, there's only three like lessons um, where whether or not you're using expert is important. Right. So most of it, like it just doesn't matter. Um, But like, so in order to give the people who are really passionate about not using Expo or using Expo, like an equal chance. I just included both because basically what we do is we create the project and then we delete the entry file completely and build it from scratch. So what you start out with generally doesn't matter. Right. Infinite Red has been designing and shipping and building web and mobile applications for 10 years. They're experts in React Native and passionate advocates for remote work. They also host North America's only React Native conference, Chain React, attended by hundreds of developers all over the world. I actually went this last year. It was a ton of fun. If you start a project after hearing about them on this podcast, they'll give you two free tickets. You can learn more at radio.infinite.red. So um, I, I think that's really, really interesting. So I, I'm also curious then, did you have to learn how to use Expo or is it straightforward enough to where you kind of just did it once and it was like, oh, there we go. So the thing about, um, I mean, how much do you know about Expo? I've played with it a little bit. Uh, to be perfectly honest, and, and our listeners know this, um, 
I spend the majority of my time running a podcast network. And when I'm programming, I'm generally writing stuff in Ruby or in Vue. So. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to give you like a, a, like a quick description about what uh-huh. Expos and what it does. All right. So um, for native applications, uh, like native, like, okay. So let's start with phones. You have an iPhone or an Android phone. And basically your phones are like little computers. The same way you have iPhone and Android phone, you also have a Windows computer and a Linux computer or a Mac computer. Right. The thing is you can't run a Mac program on a Windows computer and vice versa. And that's right. the same problem with, with our phones. And then basically what Expo does is it creates this little native environment on both of the phones. So you have this like uh, plain boilerplate iOS application and a plain boilerplate Android application. Mm-hmm. And then their actual React Native code is in a JavaScript bundle because it's written in JavaScript. Right. And then what you can do is you can pretty much, you can take this little JavaScript bundle and put it on top of the native shell of your application. Right. So the actual JavaScript UI bit, like you can swap it out and Expo handles the shell bit. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the... Um, the reason that Expo is easier to set up because you don't actually need to set up your native environment to build this Android or iOS application. Right. What you do is you download the Expo shell from the app or the Google Play Store mm-hmm. and then just up, like change the JavaScript bundle on top. Right. And that's basically why you get going so quickly. The thing is, if you do anything that actually changes the underlying shell, that Expo doesn't support, you will have to build your application yourself. So as soon as you add a native module, as soon as you add some like authentication module that doesn't uh, isn't supported in gotcha. Expo, yeah, anything like that. As soon as you touch that bit, like you're out. And then like from going, you know, like save and immediately seeing it on your phone, you will have to build the figure out how to build the native app, load it on your phone, and then mm-hmm. build it from scratch. So right. that's why it's like super easy to get started. But then when you want out, you're like, uh, can be a bit lost, especially when you, when you got in there as a beginner. Yeah, that makes sense. And let me see if I can restate it another way. So um, Expo essentially gives you all of the mobile extensions pre-built with all of the, um, what, what do you call them? Connections or glue code between your JavaScript and your, uh, native stuff. So you don't have to do a native build, right? Yeah. And so the second that you add something in that requires you to do a native build, that's not part of Expo, it has to go and it has to compile that. And so, yeah, then you, then you have to essentially eject from Expo and run a native build. Yeah. Your JavaScript to play with. Yeah. Uh, so Expo actually, I mean, now that I've looked into it a little bit more, they actually do more. So you have this Expo module that you can, um, you can install on your non-Expo project that has a bunch of like Expo-specific things. Like they have their own video library, they have uh, their auth library, they have, I think they might have an animation library, I'm not 100% sure. So there are a bunch of things that are built into Expo. I forgot what the actual module is called that you can also use if you do just React Native in it. So it does do lots of stuff. Right. Um, but most of the time when I build apps for clients, they tend to... Um, well, I tend to know from the onset that it's going to be unlikely that everything we do 
is going to be within Expo. So right. it's no point like starting with Expo and ejecting and then going through the whole dance. So. so is it more work then to eject from Expo and do that setup yourself than it is to just start with plain old React Native and pull in the, the, the I guess, the native uh, integrations yourself? Uh, it completely depends. Okay. So one case where Expo is actually really handy is if you don't have a MacBook, but you want to build for the iPhone. Uh, so if you yeah, have a physical iPhone and only a Windows computer, then there's nothing you can do natively. Right. But, with but there's Expo, no build step. Yeah. Because yeah. there's no build step and all the build tools run on Mac for our iPhone. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, exactly. Um, so because I always work, I work on a MacBook. So for me, it makes sense um, to do yeah. it natively. But if I didn't, I would definitely uh, consider Expo more, I think. Yep. Or you would have to find a build machine. And I know you can like rent them in the cloud and stuff. I don't know details on that, but I know that's a possibility. And yeah, depending on what you're doing, you can set up like Circle CI or something and tell it, okay, this has to run on a Mac because it does the build. Yeah, I mean, you can actually, so what I use for deployments usually is um, is a service called App Center. Uh, it's mm -hmm. from Microsoft. Yep. And basically, yeah, they build your um, kind of app modules and you can set up like the provisioning profiles and the certificates and then it kind of builds the app bundles, which you can then upload directly to the store from there as well. Yeah, we've done podcast episodes. So it's about App Center. It's a pretty handy way to go, especially yeah, if you're is. building for multiple targets. Um, it's it's really nice. Um, so yeah, so let's look at your outline a little bit further here. Um, adding a linter, I'm just curious because I know some people that swear by them and some people that swear at them, so to speak. So yeah, so I think I think that step was a little bit controversial, and I actually added it to the beginning. And then I added it to extra credits, so I moved it. And then the day before the workshop, I was like, now I'm adding it to I need to set up. So for me personally, I always use a linter 100% of the time. Um, even if I'm doing a hobby project, even if I'm doing like something that's private and no one else will see it, I will still set up a linter. And the, um, there's like a React Native community, ESLint config, uh, which is like specific for React Native. So it has all the like configuration that for native done for you. Mm -hmm. So it's actually pretty easy. It even has prettier configured. Um, yep. So with just like, honestly, it takes like 10 minutes tops. Um, and then if you have an editor, if you have a same editor as me, the idea was that if you turn on format on save and you save your file, you actually end up with the same formatting as me. So right. I thought it would make the um, workshop easier to follow. Also instill some good practices. Yeah, it makes sense. And, are you, uh, you anti-linter? I, I like them. I just don't like setting them up. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I mean, that hence the like four small steps. I was like, you literally just have to do these four steps. It should be easy. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I always hand ring a little bit too over. Okay, but I don't like that syntax that is making me. But you can turn the rules off. It's really not that hard. It's mostly just that I'm too lazy to fiddle with it. So, 
But, but for the most part, especially if I'm working on a team or working with other people, I really, really believe strongly that you, that you and they should be using linters. And the reason is, is because, yeah, then all your code looks mostly the same. And what it does is it really sets up the code so that I can take the mental shortcuts I need to, to not have to figure out what you're doing there. Right. It's like, no, we just always do this kind of thing this way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why, that's why I really love prettier as well. And you just yep. don't need to have those arguments. And I, I'm relying so much on format on save now that if I don't have it turned on, I'm just like, what do you mean? I need to, okay. It's just like enter and then done. Like, <laughs> I just don't need that in my life. Yep. So do you turn the linter on and tell it that you have to have semicolons? We could have a fight about that. <laughs> um, well, I do actually. So I, I do have some strong opinions <laughs> yeah. about Prettier, which um, can be controversial. Uh, so I always use a trailing comma. Um, uh -huh. I, I like having like spacing around brackets if you do destructuring. And I used to actually have, like be feel very strongly about single quotes, but now the project that I've been on for the past year has been pro double quotes. And now I'm kind of used to double quotes. So I don't really care about that one anymore. There you go. Yeah. You just get used to doing it wrong. And then <laughs> I'm just, I think it's, I think it's funny just how people have opinions. Yeah. And I've, I've done uh, like live streaming code and, you know, I'm like, I, I got this code out of this code generator and it didn't put any semicolons in. Right. And that just drives me nuts. Cause I just, I don't know. I don't trust automatic semicolon insertion. And so it, I, I want all my semicolons where I want them anyway. Yeah. It just looks wrong. Especially if you've done any like compiled language, like uh, Java yeah. or C sharp where your program will literally fail if you don't have semicolons. Yep. Yeah, it just feels wrong. Well, I grew up writing Ruby and they don't use semicolons. But for me, it's just the idea of there's this program that I don't know anything about that's going to f guess at the formatting of my code. No, no, we're not, <laughs> we're not going there. Uh, yeah. And it's not that I don't trust it. And I don't trust the people that wrote it. It's just the idea just makes my skin crawl. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I guess if it works, I can squint at it, and pretend that it's okay. But yeah, anyway. But yeah, there we go. We got on our soapboxes. <laughs> Happy to argue about this. Heck I don't yeah. know. It's kind of like, I feel like everyone agrees that it doesn't really matter as long as it's consistent. But then that is again, mostly true. Yeah. But then again, we still have strong opinions about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So what are the other things that then people need to understand to successfully build React Native projects? Um. Because we kind of talked also, about the setup, you know, using Expo or not, um, you know, adding a linter. Okay, yeah. So the main things that are different in React Native than the web are, so, okay, so let's talk about styling. Mm -hmm. We were talking about having arguments about linting, and there's also a very well-known argument about styling, namely whether to use inline styles or CSS, like the global style classes. Well, in React Native, no such argument is possible because it's in styles only, which is actually really, really nice. And the other thing about styling that's different is um, on the web, some people use Flexbox. Mm -hmm. um, on native, 
you can only use Flexbox. So all items have display flex on by default. Okay. So you actually get really good at flex um, when you start building native apps. So now when I do any web development, um, I always use flex because it's just like, it's just so in my head. It makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense for native screens as well. Um, the other thing uh, you have to think about is there are different views depending on whether your content scrolls or not. So there's obviously a view and a scroll view, which um, mm -hmm. do what you think they would do. Um, but if you render a list, so on the web, you will just do array.map and then the list would render. Now on native, even though you can do that syntax, uh, you generally shouldn't ever. And there are special components about uh, for rendering lists. So there's like a flat, flat list and a section list. And basically they're these native components where you uh, give them an array of items and a render function on how to render an individual item. And you render lists through these uh, special list components. So the reason you do that is these list elements have these uh, optimizations built in that you won't have with array.map. So for example, if you have a React component and it causes a re-render, um, mm -hmm. the array.map would all get re-rendered whenever the components get re-rendered. Whereas if you use this list component, it only gets re-rendered if the data that is inserted inside gets changed. So it does like a diff on the array. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the other thing that it does is it actually only renders the items that you can see on your phone screen. So if you have a list that has like a thousand items, you can pass them all in, um, but it will only render the three or four items that are currently on the user screen. So you get less these memory efficiencies. And that's something that people don't actually ex expect. And most people who are new to React Native, including me when I was new to React Native, just used Array.Map and were like, why is everything so slow? Yeah, that makes sense. And so the other thing that's actually quite significant in React Native is navigation. So navigation is very, very different on native applications than it is on the web. And you might be surprised to learn that React Native doesn't actually have any navigation built in. So by default, you can just have like a single page application mm -hmm. where you can like, I don't know, press some buttons, display some text. So if you want navigation, you have to install a third party navigation library. Right. And there's, uh, there's two main ones out there. There's React Navigation and React Native Navigation. And they pretty much do the same thing. Uh, so if you... Um, if you open like any mobile apps, if you open like Twitter, for example, mm -hmm. um, you'll see that it has these bottom navigation items. So you have like a home and a search, notifications and messages. So these, this is like a bottom nav. And if you navigate between them, you'll notice that each of the screens, they get rendered straight away. So there's no delay. There's no like loading mm -hmm. icon after the first time. Um, so that's a little bit different from what it is on the web because basically these, um, uh, root screens all get rendered like at the same time. So any network request you do, they actually get sent straight away. So you could be able to, you would be able to get that screen, screen straight away. And the other thing to note is uh, each of the screens inside um, is a stack. So all the navigation on mobile apps is kind of stack based. So if you, for example, go to the um, the home icon, and if you uh, press on a tweet 
you'll see the tweet uh, in like a tweet detail view and you notice it's got a back button. But then without pressing on this back button, if you go to search and then go back, go back home, you'll notice that the tweet detail view is still there. And mm -hmm. um, even though you've been to a different page and that's because the stack kind of stays like the top item of the stack will still stay on the stack, even if you navigate to a different nav item and then you can go back. So like things like that that are kind of um, users are used to, but you don't necessarily always think about unless you're actually uh, building these applications. But yeah, both uh, React Navigation and React Nav Native Navigation uh, provide the tools to do like the bottom nav, the top nav, the um, native animation for screen transition based on whether you're on iOS or Android. So but yeah, the idea is you have to unfortunately choose it for yourself, uh, make a decision and then stick with it. Except if you're an expert, then they make the decision for you and you have to use React Navigation. Gotcha. So what's the process for ejecting from Expo? And, and what, um, what kinds of good or bad experience are you going to have doing that? So, well, actually, it's pretty easy. You just do um, Expo reject. And then what it does is... Um, so, so I'll go back to Expo init. So when you do Expo init, um, for Expo, you actually don't get that much quote-unquote, stuff. Um, so all you get is you get um, node modules, gitignore, app.js, app.json, app package.json, and some Babel configuration. That's pretty much it. So you just get the JavaScript kind of parts of Expo. Now, if you do Expo eject, what it actually does is it gives you all the native code um, that it was managing itself. So if you do Expo Eject, it creates two directories. It creates an iOS and an Android directory, and it uh, puts all the native code that you didn't see before in there, and then you can edit it. So actually, like uh, getting the ejected version of your app is super simple. Mm -hmm. But from then on, you have to run a build step. Yeah, so before uh, ejecting, all you need to do is you need to have the Expo kind of shell app on your phone. And then you just do, I think it's like yarn start or expo start or something like that. Um, whereas if you're doing the native app, what you have to do is you still have to do a yarn start, which starts basically starts the packager. Um, but you also in a different tab, you have to do uh, React Native, run iOS or run Android to actually compile the native app. And for that, you'll need the correct system for what you're building. So if you are building the iOS app, you'll need a MacBook. Gotcha. Makes sense. One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker. I don't want to deal with Kubernetes. I don't want to deal with setting up servers. I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell Harrington from The Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is 
more or less a continuation of the Food Fight show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things, then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com. Do you have any other pointers for people who are getting started with, with React Native that maybe have never done it before? They're picking up this podcast and happen to stumble across this episode as their first one. Um, tips for starting React Native. I mean, um, it depends what like it depends what kind of learner you are. I think so. For me, whenever I, I learn new things, like I just I want to get the basics as quickly as possible and then just start building stuff. So the best thing to do is just like have an idea, like something that you want to build. Right. And then, I mean, honestly, if you just look through the basic components section of um, like the workshop documentation, that will actually give you enough to do a thing. Um, navigation is kind of nice because well, most applications have navigation, so it's like a necessary evil. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just like <laughs> figure out the basics and then try to build something. <laughs> but that would be my advice of um, building was, anything, like learning anything rather than <laughs> just React Native. Yeah, I was going to say that's the advice I give people in general who are trying to learn pretty much any programming. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would say specific to React Native. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> nope, it's all good. All right, well... Um, Let's go ahead and do some picks. Um, now, picks are just things that you shout out about that you think are great, that you want people to know about. Um, I'll go ahead and do some first, and then we'll see where we get from there. Um, my first pick is going to be Cashflow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. It's a book. Um, and he just talks about, essentially, so he writes about getting rich, right? He has Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then he's got um, a bunch of other books related to that. Cashflow Quadrant talks about um, being either an employee, uh, supervisor, or small business owner, um, owning your own larger business, and then being an investor. And he talks about how uh, most wealth is attained by owning a larger business or investing. And so then he talks about how to make the transition, right, between the different quadrants so that you're in the quadrant that's going to make you the most money and fulfill your life in the most meaningful way, right? He doesn't advocate that everybody should become investors. What he advocates is figure out which quadrant you're going to be happy in. Just keep in mind that you probably want to, you know, if, if you're going to be an employee, you probably want to be investing because investing is where you're going to get rich. And, you know, if you're, if you're a small business owner, then look at becoming a, you know, growing your business so that, you know, your business can build you wealth. And things like that. So it's it's really, really terrific book. And I've really, really been enjoying it. And then I'm also going to throw out on this uh, podcast episode, and I haven't announced this yet. Um, I've been talking to the folks over at Infinite Red that put on Chain React, which is the React conference, React Native conference here in the US. Um, because of the coronavirus, they wound up canceling it. And I, I mean, I get it, right? You get to the point where, okay, we got to make another payment on the venue. Um, we've got to, you know, lock down a few more things. We don't even know if this is going to happen. It's close enough to be a little bit iffy. So they canceled it. But uh, I'm going to put together an online React Native conference. And I'm going to put it on on the same dates as, Re as Chain React. 
So if you submitted talks to speak at Chain React, if you were going to sponsor Chain React, if you were going to come to Chain React, or if you were thinking Portland's way too far, um, we're doing this on the internet. So, um, you know, no matter where you are, you're welcome to come. I realize that some of the talks might wind up being a little bit late in the evening or night for certain parts of the world. But if you buy a ticket, then you can go watch the recordings later. Um, but yeah, so I'm getting that together. It'll be at reactnativeremoteconf.com. Um, and you can just go check it out there. Yeah. And then, like I said, I'm looking for sponsors and folks like that. Um, I'm also putting together a React meetup online. And that is going to be at the end of April. I'll probably have one at the end of May and at the end of June and so on. Um, I'm not sure yet if I'm going to put one on for React Native or not. It just depends on how much time I have to put into making them go. Those are free. And honestly, I just wanted a place where people could come together. So I'm just arranging a couple of presentations, just real short ones. And then I'm just going to open it up. I think I can have like eight or 10 people on the video conference call at a time. And so as many people as we have there that want to speak up, we'll just rotate people through. And that way you can kind of get your fix or fill of, hey, so I had this problem and then we can all kind of pile on and fix it. Um, or we can just sit and chat about whatever's going on in the React Native community or React community or whatever. So um, I'm kind of trying to recreate some of that community feel that you get from showing up to a live meetup. So those are the things that I've, I'm going to pick. I know some of it's stuff that I'm doing, but it's stuff that I think is important for the community. So shout out about that. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't want to interrupt you while you were talking about, I'm really excited about the remote conference. That's awesome. Good. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, React Native EU can just go on without a hitch. But at this point, there's no knowing. And right now, it looks like they're still planning on holding it. So hopefully that's a thing. But if it's not, then, you know, I'll, I'll work with folks and see if we can make these conferences go remote. Surprisingly, a lot of these conferences cancel. I reach out to them to see if they want to want help going remote. And they wind up opting to like pre-record videos and release them and stuff. And oh. I, it's just not quite, in my opinion, what the community needs from some of that stuff. So anyway. Yeah, I think, yes, someone just needs to do it. And then maybe like produce something like a, this is how we did it. And this is what we could have done differently. Because I feel like a lot of people would want to do it, but they just don't know how. Yep. Um, and they're scared. So I think it's an awesome idea. Um, yay, look forward to it. Yeah, so I'll have the, the page up uh, probably later this week. I'm also doing one for iOS and JavaScript at this point, and I think Rails, because RailsConf got canceled. And I begged <laughs> them to do online live talks with Q&A sessions. And um, I get that it's a ton of work, and you know, I don't, I don't really blame them for making the call that they did. But yeah, let's, let's have a conference, folks. All right. So do you have some picks, some things you want to shout out about? Could be TV or books, movies, could be code stuff. I mean, whatever, right? What's making you happy today, these days? I listen to Audible like a lot. Uh, so uh, I say, yeah, I say that I read books, but I listen to books. It's kind of, it's almost the same. It's so good because you can, yeah, like you can go for a run or like paint or mm -hmm like I don't know clean cook and like still listen to things I've started going through so many more books ever since subscribing to audible um yeah I guess I can shout out to the last two books that I finished um 
I mean, one of them is uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I think a lot of people will know about already. Uh, in general, my rule of thumb with Audible is that anything Stephen Fry is narrating is kind of like pre-picked <laughs> for you. Because <laughs> he has such a good voice and excellent taste. So I'm like, as soon as I see his name, I'm like, yeah, this is probably going to be good. And it was. Um, I even listened to like the complete works of Sherlock Holmes, which is like 50 plus hours twice mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's narrated by him. Oh, nice. Uh, but the other thing, is that, is that um, all one purchase? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you can do it for one credit. Dang, I know what I'm getting next. It's <laughs> <laughs> good value for money. Um, yeah, it is. I got the complete set of the Chronicles of Narnia for one credit. Nice. And yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, anyway, I'm, I keep I'm interrupting nice. you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's no, right. Um, and the second one actually was something that is, I guess, mildly relevant now that healthcare workers are, I guess, looked after more. Um, it's, it's a book called This Is Going to Hurt um, by Adam Kay. Mm-hmm. And he basically was a doctor in the US, uh, sorry, in the UK, in London, um, on the NHS for like less than 10 years. I think it was maybe eight years. Mm-hmm. And it's basically his chronicles. He's now a comedian, like a comedy TV writer, I think. And right. it's basically his chronicles during his time of being an actual practicing, what they call a junior doctor in the UK and his kind of misadventures. And I always knew that healthcare workers had it really tough, but that really puts it into perspective. They are really like, thrown in a deep end and kind of told to learn to swim quick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I've actually been doing, um, I, I don't know how deep I want to go in on this because a lot of people don't like my politics, but I've been doing a political podcast lately and um, I've been interviewing candidates for, for Congress. And one of the candidates I interviewed is a nurse practitioner that has done work in the national guard. And it's been, it was really interesting. I talked to him last night just to see, oh, okay, so this is the training that we get to handle a pandemic like this, right? And it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, you get that perspective from people that, you know, and whether it's, it, you know, has some comedy throw in, thrown in or whether they're telling you stories of where they've been. Yeah, that stuff is, is really, really fascinating. And I guess um, to pivot back into tech, um, I've been, I mean, I know that Frontend Masters is actually really big in the U.S., um, already. Um, I think it's like less big in um, the UK. Um, so I didn't quite know what I was getting myself into um, when I signed up to do this workshop. But I was absolutely blown away by the, I, I guess, the professionalism and the effort that they put into every single workshop that they do. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with how the setup is when you give a workshop. I've watched a few of them, so I have some idea. Okay. Um, so from like my perspective, um, there's basically there's some people in the classroom mm-hmm. and then there's a live chat for anyone who's joining remotely. Yep. And um, they have like professional camera equipment. They have two people uh, live editing the video and to see like where the clips are or any time where like, you know, I'm having a drink and slurping and I need to cut it out. Um, And then after all of that, 
they have a whole team of people downstairs. Um, and one of the, like, I think there's a couple of people who are considered QA, so quality and analysis. And what they do is like, after they put the workshop together, um, there are people who literally go through the workshop and take the workshop and then just give their feedback on like, oh, this didn't quite work or like, I didn't understand that. And they like add links into uh, the videos um, so that if you're following it and I say, okay, go and install Android Studio, rather than you having to Google Android Studio and finding it, there will be a link to uh, where you can download it and things like that. It's like, I, had, I actually didn't know just how much effort um, goes into producing these. Oh, wow. And what's really nice is like the documentation that I wrote. So the, uh, the website that you can access, it's um, free and online forever and it's open source. So anyone who, um, you know, not everyone can afford to splurge on a fancy like video course, but they might want to still uh, learn React Native. And you can actually go and um, take this course just like using this documentation. You don't, uh, you don't need, it's a nice experience with the video, but you don't actually need it. And they're perfectly happy for me to have this open source and online. I just thought that was like, you know, they don't have to do that. And I think that was really nice. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, I didn't realize there was so much behind it. Oh my God, there's so much. <laughs> there's so much. Um, yeah. Very <laughs> yeah, they cool. Have a, and they have a camera guy, uh, John, who is he used to be a documentary filmmaker. Uh-huh. And um he is, you know, he, he goes around and like there's like pan zooms and like makes everything nice. Mm-hmm. And um I think the moment where I was just like, oh shit, this is this is real, is when after the first segment, he actually came to me with a bit of powder and put it on my nose. I was just like, oh just making sure that's your, you know, you're not shining on the camera. <laughs> Nice. I felt like I was in like a um, like a real uh, movie studio, so I take it very seriously. I know, right? That's awesome. Very cool. One thing I forgot to ask: How do people find you online? I'm assuming people can reach out on Twitter or you know, oh, yeah, website and things like that. Um, yeah, so I have I have I am very lucky to be the only Caddy Kramer in the world. Um, mm-hmm. So I am Caddy Kramer on Twitter and GitHub and LinkedIn and anywhere else. So mostly, mostly if you want to get in touch with me, just DM me on Twitter and it will be at Caddy Kremen. Good deal. All right. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up. Thanks for coming. This has been really fun and it's been fun to get kind of the back end insights on front end masters. So yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. This has been great. All right, folks, we'll have another one later. In the meantime, Max out. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.